Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bramble Podcast. Today is such a special and important day at the podcast. When I started doing interviews for the first time in our podcast history in this season, never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined I'd be interviewing one of my writing and animal advocacy idols. My connection to her work is so special that just months ago, as I was going through an old journal, I found quotes by Victoria and journal entries about the things I was reading about in her books because everything that she was saying resonated so much with me. If current me went back to younger me and told her that in a few years, you'll get to meet her and you'll get to ask her the questions you've always wanted to ask her, I would have said, seriously, (laughs) where is my time machine? (laughs) There are hundreds of ways to introduce Victoria Moran. And I'm about to share so many of the incredible things she's done. But to me, she was the very first author that made me see that there was a connection between my relationship with food, my values, spirituality, that every step I took had meaning, that even my messy past with food and eating could find healing, and that most of the work with my issues had to start internally and not externally. She got me started on a path that has taken me to so many different places since then, all on this quest to find peace with food while still being in connection with the meaning behind my choices and my love for animals. In today's episode, we talk about her 38 years of being vegan, what she's seen and how she's stayed the course, how she found veganism back when there weren't hundreds of books and podcasts and documentaries about it. We talk about having missteps on our journeys to veganism, how imperfection is a part of the process. And what we can compassionately tell ourselves to celebrate even the smallest victories. We talk about some of the reasons why people stop being vegan and one essential piece of the puzzle that can help keep us on course. We talk about the importance of taking things a day at a time, as well as the deeper spiritual meaning behind our food choices. I also ask Victoria a question I've been wanting to ask her for years about religion and spirituality. We discuss her passion for and practice of yoga and why it's so important when practicing a philosophy that stems from another culture to honor and incorporate its many teachings and also what is truly going to stay with us throughout our lives. Spoiler alert, 
it ain't that headstand. (laughs) Victoria talks about all the exciting projects she's got coming up, including the incredible documentary she helped produce, A Prayer for Compassion, which I highly recommend you watch. It's a wonderful documentary. She makes several appearances in it and tells a story in this film about visiting a slaughterhouse many years ago and the profound experience she had with what she saw. She talks about her incredible Main Street Vegan Academy still growing strong, where they've been certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators from wherever they are in the world. Isn't that incredible? We talk about her upcoming and newly revamped podcast, the Victoria Moran Podcast, and so much more. Listed by Veg News among the top 10 living vegetarian authors, Victoria Moran has written 13 books. That's right, 13 books and a new one coming, including Main Street Vegan and Creating a Charmed Life, among many others. She was featured twice on Oprah. She is the founder and director of Main Street Vegan Academy, training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators since 2012. And she was the lead producer of the 2019 documentary, A Prayer for Compassion, about food choices and spirituality. Victoria is one of the co-founders of the Compassion Consortium, an interfaith, interspecies spiritual center for people who care about animals. After 475 episodes of the Main Street Vegan podcast, she is about to launch the Victoria Moran podcast, an exploration of vitality, spirituality, and compassion. Make sure to follow Victoria's work through her website, MainStreetVegan.net, soon to be.com, but either one will take you there. Follow her on Instagram, where she is at Victoria Moran Author, on Twitter, where she is at Victoria underscore Moran, and on Facebook and LinkedIn as Victoria Moran Author. The Victoria Moran Podcast, a documentary, a prayer for compassion, her Main Street Vegan Academy. All of those great things are going to be linked in the show notes. Now, before we get into my conversation with Victoria, here's a note from our sponsor for today's show. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Green and Experience, a wonderful Etsy shop selling amazing products for a safe and plant-based alternative to doing laundry. I'm always on a quest to find more sustainable products made with natural ingredients that are good for me and good for the environment. I'm so excited to have discovered their handmade hemp dryer balls. All the goodness and benefits of the raw hemp in a dryer ball, all natural, reusable, plant-based, non-toxic, and safe to use for babies, infants, pets pets, and people with sensitive skin. Perfect for making your clothes and linens super soft without the need to use fabric softeners or plastic or wool-based dryer balls. Without any of the strong chemicals that can be found in so many commercial cleaning products that can be harmful for your skin and that can get into the water supply and be harmful for animals and the environment. Their Etsy shop is glowing with five-star reviews and customers who talk about how hard it is to find vegan cleaning products and especially laundry products until they found Green and Experience. All the products come beautifully presented in zero-waste packaging, which also means they make beautiful gifts as well. Here's what my issue is when doing laundry. I hate 
and I mean hate, having wrinkled clothes coming out of the dryer. I hate the static, and I especially want my towels and clothes to be as soft as they can be, but it's been years since I bought commercial fabric softener, partly because I've moved to all-natural and vegan and cruelty-free cleaning products, and I really never found a replacement for fabric softener. And also because I try to reduce my use of plastics whenever I can, not perfect, but whenever I can. And those giant jugs of fabric softener, we're just not cutting it anymore. These dryer balls are beautiful to look at. They're easy to spot and your laundry comes out perfect with each and every load. Order them today on Etsy.com by visiting their shop green and experience all one word or use the link you'll find right here in the podcast player and in the show notes and get 10% off with a limited time promo code BROWNBOWL10. Order them for your family and find peace of mind. Hello, Victoria. Welcome to the podcast. I cannot tell you what an honor it is for me to have you here. Uh, I have been a fan of your writing, of your podcast, of your work for so many years. So thank you and welcome. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> and and I have heard of your work as well. So we've got some mutual admiration going on. Oh, thank you so much. Victoria, you are, I think, our longest, um, our, our guest who has been vegan the longest, let's say, that we have ever had as a guest on the show, 38 years of being a vegan. Uh, could you Tell us uh, a little bit of about how you found veganism, because I have been vegan for almost 10 years. And when I went vegan, nobody I knew even knew that word existed. So I can't even imagine 38 years ago what the situation was like. So how did you come across veganism? Well, at that time, it really was a lot more esoteric. But I was always somebody that was looking for the edgy stuff and the kind of esoteric teachings. So I, I discovered vegetarianism first and went vegetarian when I was 19, which was 53 years ago. And I thought that was enough. I mean, <laughs> what else could you do? And then maybe two years later, I happened on to something that mentioned veganism and explained about dairy calves and cows. Well, that made complete sense to me. And internally, at a heart and soul level, I knew it was right. But at a practical level, my, my reasoning went, you're already vegetarian, which is the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> and I lived in Kansas City, Missouri, by the way. Wow. And and you're already weird. And I was a practicing compulsive eater. So whenever I tried to do anything extra, it was just so difficult. So I did try to be vegan. I discovered the American Vegan Society. And the founders, uh, the late Jay Dinshaw and his very much living wife, Freya, never gave up on me. They just treated me like a vegan for all the years that I was slipping and sliding and falling back to vegetarian. And I really credit them for that. And I always think that for all of us, if we know somebody who's even, you know, their heart's kind of here, but their life isn't, we just have to treat them like pre-vegans and know that they're on the road, that they're on the way. 
So all through the 1970s, I was very involved in the vegetarian movement, the animal welfare movement, which became the animal rights movement, because that word animal rights didn't come out till 1975. So I'm doing five years of activism before there's even a term. And so I, I'd be very involved. And when I'd be vegan for a month or two, it's like, I'm vegan. And I would fall off. But eventually what happened in 1983, two things converged. I got recovery for compulsive eating in a 12-step program and finally was able to make choices about food, which I'd never had before. And my daughter was born. And I looked down at her in her crib and I thought, I want to raise this child vegan. I know it's the best life there is for everybody, but I can't have her do it if I'm not doing it. So those two things together enabled me in November of 1983 to take the plunge in a very different world, a world that didn't have non-dairy milk in supermarkets or coffee shops or anywhere else, uh, a world where if you wanted tofu, you had to go to an Asian market and uh, dig it out of a big tub of water with long tongs. <laughs> Very different world, but it was it was starting. I mean, actually, it wasn't starting. It was started, the momentum for veganism back in the 1940s, but it, it was getting stronger right. and, and has continued. And now I wish we were seeing a vegan world, but we are seeing a more vegan world than I could have ever imagined at that time. Uh, the changes I can imagine, just being a witness of all of the changes that have happened in the movement, the options available at restaurants, uh, the fact that you go into the store and where you couldn't find one brand of soy milk before, now there are 10 brands of soy milk and almond milk and rice milk and hemp milk and all of these options. I can't even just begin to to imagine what you've seen throughout these years in terms of how we've advanced. Uh, I loved how you mentioned that we should treat everybody as pre-vegans and keep cheering them on. I can't tell you how many students have come across our doors who have shared their stories with me and they tell me, I keep going back to dairy. I keep going back to cheese and I keep failing. And I just want to try to do a to do this right. And I always tell them th that's not a failure. It's not a failure. It's steps forward. So what would you say to somebody who feels like they keep taking steps back and like they're failing when this is an important choice for them? How could they reframe that? Well, I think just what you tell them, that this is a process. I remember a few years ago reading some statistic that veganism has an 80% recidivism rate. I mean, yeah. You're better off with heroin. And <sighs> I was kind of down about that. And that happened to be a day when we were doing a, a masterclass for Main Street Vegan Academy graduates. And Dr. Neil Barnard had come to New York to present for us. And I was talking with him about it. And he said, well, you know, statistically, smokers who give up smoking have to try nine times. And so for all the ones that try nine times, some of them have to try 18 times because some people do it <laughs> overnight. So that really helped me. And also statistically, 
people tend to stick with changes made incrementally. And in a way that doesn't make sense to me, because especially with veganism, if you get it, you get it that eggs are incredibly colossally cruel, but so is dairy. And so why not just get rid of everything all at once? In the best of all possible worlds, that's a way to do it. That's not where we're living. And the other thing I think that I would say to this person that you're talking about, that they're not just making a change in their diet. They're not just giving up sugar or, or gluten or, you know, whatever it is. They're making a statement with their lives and with where they put their money about a whole host of things that are wrong with our culture, that are wrong with our society. So if you stop eating sugar, your mom will say, well, I'm going to figure out how to make apple pie with some other kind of sweetener. But if you give up meat, eggs, and dairy, mom feels like you've given up on her. Yes. Like, like I can't do that. I can't handle that. That's yes. too much. I, I know a good friend always talks about how when she went vegetarian, her husband who did the cooking, and I'll, I'll just share who this is because people know who she is and she shares it freely. That's J.L. Fields. Oh, the wonderful, wonderful J.L. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And you know, she talks about when, when she went vegetarian because of witnessing the slaughter of, of an animal when she was traveling, he said, great, cool. I'm, I'm getting vegetarian cookbooks. I, this is exciting. I'm going to be this great vegetarian chef because he did the cooking. But when she went vegan, he said, you're on your own. <laughs> and I think that's still today a little bit how society looks at it. Yeah. And, and it depends, you know, where you live and the people that you're around and, and all that. But generally speaking, you're just an outsider. And a lot of people won't invite you to their house when there's going to be food served anymore because your presence can make other people feel like they ought to make changes that they're not prepared to make. So when this person says, oh, I went back, it's not because you're a glutton. It's not because you're weak. It's not because you're a terrible person who doesn't care about animals. It's because this thing that you're trying to do is monumental. And yes, it's true. Some people just do it overnight and that's great. But we're all at different places in life. You know, if, if you're a young person and you're off at college and you're making all kinds of new and different changes and choices, then you can just add this in and it's easy at that time. But if you're married to somebody who really wants to keep eating animal products, if you have kids and and teenagers that have no interest in this, that's a very different different thing. So I, I don't think we should just throw everybody into a lump and say, well, it was easy for me. Why isn't it easy for you? I completely agree. What do you think was the secret in your experience of being a vegan for so many years and being able to sustain it? Well, in the beginning, I was less than perfect and I let myself be less than perfect because I knew how hard this was. So the couple of things that I would do were I, I would 
sometimes give assumptions to foods out in the world that I don't give assumptions to anymore. But back in the day, it's like, okay, it's at a health food store and it's whole grain and it's looks like it didn't rise too much in the oven and it's really hard and probably won't taste very good. So I'm just going to assume that that muffin also doesn't have egg in it. You know, there were things like that. I, you right. know, I'm not a saint. And the other thing that I would do early on when I was identifying as vegan, but it was really difficult, was the the little half and half in the coffee. Because at that time, there there were no options. You could order some white powder from a guy in Ohio, and he called it <laughs> soy milk, but you just had to trust that it wasn't talcum powder. And oh so, you know, when you were out there, there was really nothing. And I, you know, I didn't do it every time, you know, I'm not saying, well, I'm just calling myself vegan and I'm out there having dairy, but every now and then I had a slip. And as much as I wish I had been perfect, I'm grateful that I was able to have the slips and keep going because I think without them, I think if I had been one of those people who was saying, you had half and half. You're a terrible person. All the cows hate you. Now go eat meat. I, then that would not have worked at all. So, you know, I'd have a slip. I'd feel bad about it. And then I'd have more reserve resolve uh, going forward. So I think we just all need to know that this is where we need to be. And I think we need to keep the animals in mind. First and foremost, so when I went vegan, there were no animal sanctuaries or anything like that, farm animal sanctuaries. So it wasn't as easy as it is now to actually go see an animal. We also didn't have the footage about uh, slaughterhouses and, and things like that that we can see today. And I think that keeping that top of mind would be really helpful. So I'm just going back to the person that I was in 1984, knowing that I was going to go out to a cafe to work and that I just might cheat and put half and half in that coffee. If I had access at that time to some of that footage, if I just watched that and then went to the coffee shop, I would have probably been able to drink black coffee. But, you know, we're just all where we are. and. And I think it's important that people who are very disciplined and who can do just about anything for any reason, I'm thinking now about health and people who can fast and who can do a juice cleanse for 90 days and stuff like that. There are people like that out there. I am not one of them. <laughs> Neither if, am I. <laughs> if those people could just give the rest of us a little bit of rope, and, and give us time because, you know, it's, it's always, Kim, the long haul. So yes. as I look back on 38 years, probably the first three imperfect, you can call it 38, you can call it 35. That's a lot of saving animals. And if I'd given up on myself, you know, I would have been harming and killing animals in all these years. Absolutely. And I think that 
it, it's it's strange how the human mind works that we feel that we made an imperfect choice and we had a slip or or we ate something that wasn't vegan and the solution to this thing that was so important is to go back to eat more of it it's 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 a strange trick that we play inside our our heads instead of saying we're doing as best as we can we just need to keep taking steps forward and this is a part of everyone's experience i always remind people and you are i mean are the perfect example you are uh just one of the queens of veganism in the animal rights movement and here you are telling us about these moments of imperfection that we all have and i think normalizing that is really important now, you talked a little bit about that very large, unfortunately large number of people who go vegan and then stop being vegan. What do you think are the main roadblocks for people who decide to go back? I think it's almost always relational. Yes. And when people talk to us about this, I think we have to listen very carefully and not be just waiting for what we're going to say next. <laughs> we're really listen to them, and kind of read between the lines. Because lots of times they'll say something vague, like, well, I wasn't feeling very good. And you say, oh, well, did you go to your doctor? Well, no, it wasn't that kind of not feeling good. Or I just felt tired. Oh, well, what else were you doing at that time? Well, I had to take a second job for a while. But, you know, it, it's always the veganism. So that's yeah. the other thing. It's like you could have jet lag and overtime and give birth to twins. And if you feel tired, say, well, it's because I'm not having eggs and dairy. It, it's interesting. Again, you know, the human mind and, and what we do. But generally speaking, in my experience, Whenever people go back and, and stay gone or stay gone for a substantial period of time, it's because of a relationship. It's either because the intimate partner just doesn't want to deal with it anymore, or there's a new intimate partner and, you know, love is blind. It, it just, yeah. it's very, very difficult to be in the throes of new love. And this person is the most important thing on earth. And they think you eat funny and they really wish you wouldn't be weird. That's very, very hard, very hard. Then there's also just the kind of gradual wearing down. If you're pretty much the only vegan in, in your circle, the only vegan that you know locally or that's close to you, and your brother-in-law says, I mowed the lawn so there's something for you to eat. And somebody at work says, your lunch looks funny, or I know you think it tastes good, but it's been so long since you've had anything that tasted good, you wouldn't really know. And it's just day after day, yes. a little bit more, a little bit more without having that wonderful vegan community to say, oh my gosh, your lunch looks so good. Or look at you, you've been vegan for 60 days. When you get to 90, I'm going to fly to your town and we're going to go out and eat vegan. You know, that would make all the difference. So all the difference. I, I think the number one thing is find people to support you. 
and find them online first because that's the easiest and most accessible. And then find meetup groups and, and whatever there is in your town. I was working with a woman once who lived on an island off the coast of, I think it was South Carolina. And I was saying, you know, you need to find people in your area. And she said, well, there's nobody in my area because, you know, it's like a small place and it's an island and you have to get the ferry to get to the mainland. And, what. and I said, well, let's just look, you know, let's just look like on the mainland and see uh, if, if there's some kind of vegan group. Not only was there a substantial vegan group on the nearest, you know, decent sized town that she would have to take the ferry to, there was a little vegan group on her island where she thought she knew everybody. Right. So, oh so God. we just have to find our people because this is very difficult to do alone. Yes, it is. I agree. I think that community is such an important part of the puzzle and also finding support in the group of people that even if they aren't vegan, they are at least supportive of your choices. That's also uh, very helpful. Now, I have read so many of your books, Victoria. Uh, I am a huge fan of your writing. And I one thread that I find between all of them, whether you're talking about spirituality or creating a charmed life and just even when you talk about your home environment and changing uh, and changing that or its veganism, there is this thread that I find between your books about the enjoyment of the process in the day to day and not only looking at the goal or the finish line, but the one day at a time thing, which now when you mentioned a 12 step program, I'm wondering if that's where that might have come from there. Uh, I, I wanted you to speak a little bit about why one day at a time is something that you always mention? Well, I probably did get that uh, from Overeaters Anonymous. I, I first walked in the door there uh, when I was 24. I didn't actually get it uh, until I was 33, but I was familiar. You know, I, I guess that's how I am. I guess it takes me a while to get anything. But this is the only time we have, this is the only moment we have. And I know that we say that and we hear it in yoga class and it's all fine. You know, it's on a meme, but the reality is this is it. And certainly we can plan for the future. We can remember the past, but we get so stuck in both of those places and in terms of, of veganism, people would say, well, you know, I'd go vegan, but oh my gosh, I have this wedding in Argentina <laughs> next year. It's yes. like, well, don't worry about that until then. Right. And, you know, by then it won't be a problem anymore. Yeah. So today is the only day that we can do anything in. And sometimes when you're in a very difficult place in your life, all you can do is put your next foot forward. It's, it's easy to be in the present when the present's looking really good. <laughs> but when, when you're tired, when you're ill, when you're frightened, it can be so difficult. You want to get out of the present because it just doesn't feel good. Yes. And yet the next moment can be different. So we stay in the day, but we keep moving forward. I love that. Now, you talk so much about the spiritual meaning and the value-based meaning and the emotional meaning of food, food not being just fuel, and especially when it comes to veganism. 
Could you talk a little bit about the connection between spirituality and belief systems and veganism? Oh, I think it's tremendous. I mean, I was a lead producer for a beautiful film in 2019, A Prayer for Compassion. Fantastic film. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Thomas Jackson is the filmmaker of that. He did such a beautiful job of bringing in personal spirituality and the world's religions and how these impact food choices. And the thing about food is we engage with it more often than anything else. I mean, if if you're married, probably at least one person is going away to work. And so you see them the morning, the evening, the weekends. This is a person to whom you made a vow. (laughs) This is a really important person. Are you hanging out with that person three times a day, every single day? Probably not. Right. But we get together with food so often. I mean, people that meditate regularly, they do it twice a day. Nobody does it three times a day unless you're a monk. And so we've got this relationship with food. And it's when we choose substances from the outside world, ideally from the natural world, the not too (laughs) adulterated natural world, to bring into our bodies and create and sustain this physical form that we have to deal with. You can't have a spiritual experience in this life uh, unless you do it with your body's approval and, and cooperation. So it's a very spiritual act to eat a meal. So what, if it were a religion, what would you name it? So if I'm having a beautiful vegan meal and it's all colorful and prepared with love and it didn't harm anybody. And as far as I know, the workers were treated well and all that, you know, there's so many layers that we can think about. Yes. Versus going to a fast food restaurant where there's exploitation of humans, murder and and torture of animals and destruction of the planet. I mean, name those two religions. They're going to have very different names. Yeah. Yes. What has spirituality brought into your life, Victoria? I think I would love to to hear your experience with I know you have you are a very spiritual person. I think that my generation has had issues with religion, spirituality. I think a lot of people in vegan spaces have also had uh you know just a different relationship to that. And I do think that we are spiritual beings. So I would I would love to know what spirituality has brought into your life and maybe how we can start reconnecting to that. And I think food is one area in which we can do that because it's so linked to our values and veganism is simply our, our values in practice. I don't think anybody I have ever met would harm an animal uh, you know, on the spot in order to satisfy a craving or eat it. it, it this is this goes with everyone's values. Yes. So you don't have to be of your generation to have a problem with religion. (laughs) (laughs) I think that religion has been used 
for a long time in many cultures, many different religions, by people in power to have more control over everybody else. Yes. As I have studied religion and spirituality for my whole life, I got a degree in comparative religions at one point. I've traveled in Tibet and India and have really been on this seeking path. It seems that regardless of the religion, it has two sides to it. It has the outer side of the teachings, the dogma, the rules, the our guy is better than your guy, etc. And then it has this mystical part. And whether you're looking at Kabbalah within Judaism, at Sufism within Islam, at mystical Christianity, at yoga within Hinduism, there are in all of of these traditions this other side for someone who is heart-centered and heart-based, for someone who will either put up with the rules and do the outer part too, or someone who says, no, I can't, I can't handle that. I can't do the outer part. I'm not going to call myself this thing. I am a, but my heart is totally there resonating with that mystical underside. And so to me, veganism can also be a very mystical practice. You can be vegan and be absolutely wonderful to the animals and eat all kinds of packaged, processed foods that are great for the earth and the animals and bravo, I'm so glad they're out there. But at a spiritual level, I just don't feel they're resonating the way a beautiful, fresh, ripe peach or a lovely dish that you've prepared, maybe a a kitchery with your rice and your split mung dal and your beautiful organic vegetables from the farmer's market and your fabulous spices that smell so amazing and how you ground yourself at the kitchen before you start to prepare the food and just kind of do a little scan of yourself like am I in a state of purity of heart where this is a good time for me to prepare food for myself and or others and if not you go off and meditate or you go outside and listen to the birds sing. You do something to put you in this lovely spiritual state for this sacred act you're about to perform. So to just finish up on, I think, one of the biggest questions <laughs> there is out there, uh, right, right next to uh, what is the meaning of life, is that spirituality is our birthright. And nobody has a right to tell us how to do it. And that we don't have to throw out the baby with the proverbial bathwater, because our, our birthright as spiritual beings is we have a connection to the divine. And we have our own way of seeing that finding that and living that. Victoria, I just have chills with that um, that last part you just uh, you just said about it being our birthright and how we can find our own understanding of that. That's that's beautiful. 
We'll be back with my conversation with the great Victoria Moran in just a few seconds, but here's a quick ad break. Looking for a vegan, cruelty-free, and non-toxic way to do laundry? I'm so excited to have partnered up with today's sponsor for the podcast, Green and Experience. We get a lot of brand requests for sponsorships of the podcast, and sadly, it is rare that brands or companies align with our values at Bramble, and we say no to most sponsorships because of it. I got so excited when I saw the chance to help promote a vegan and environmentally conscious small business, especially when I'm looking for ethical and safe personal care products and especially cleaning products. Introducing their reusable, handmade, non-toxic, organic, and zero-waste dryer balls. They are not only beautiful to look at and impeccably designed, but they are antibacterial and hypoallergenic, reusable, and shipped in beautiful zero-waste packaging. Just in case you're new to using dryer balls, they are wonderful to pop in your dryer with your clothes, preventing laundry from clumping together as the balls tumble along with your laundry, reducing drying time, fighting wrinkles in your clothes, preventing static, and more importantly, giving your clothes, sheets, and towels a wonderful soft feel and skipping the chemicals, pollutants, and synthetic fragrances found in commercial dryer sheets and fabric softeners. It is the perfect, reusable, kind, vegan, and environmentally safe alternative to doing laundry. But my favorite thing is that they are reusable. I know that some more natural alternatives to cleaning products can be a bit pricier, but with these, you aren't simply buying a container with liquid that you'll use up just as fast as the regular kind, but at a higher price. With these, you make an investment and use them over and over again. No plastic, no wool, just beautifully made hemp balls that will make your laundry dry faster, softer, and with less static and will occupy next to no space in your home when compared to those giant plastic containers of laundry products. I also love that I'm supporting a small business that items are shipped with so much care and a personal touch from the shop's owner and in such beautiful packaging. The purchasing process through Etsy is unbelievably easy and I just get them shipped right to my door. Order them today and get 10% off with the limited time promo code BROWNBALL10. That's promo code BROWNBALL10 for 10% off. Shop at Green and Experience, one word, on Etsy.com or use the link you'll find in your podcast player and in the show notes. One thing I that always just, one thing I love about you is you have always, in all of the years I've been vegan, which is how I find I, how I found your, you and your work, you have maintained this sort of joyful and happy uh, just way about doing your activism and talking about veganism, even though it is a space and a movement that is filled with a lot of heaviness, a lot of violence, a lot of uh, just difficult things. And sometimes when we're on this journey for animals, which is also my case, it does feel, uh, you feel like you're going to lose your patience a little bit and you you feel like you want this to go faster. You have managed to always do it with a smile on your face. You have the years pass and you are always glowing and uh, just aging in such a beautiful way. How have you maintained all of this, even in the midst of of the violence that is behind these industries? It's very, very difficult. And I do think that my spiritual beliefs, which are kind of yoga Vedanta with some mystical Christianity, 
<laughs> have, have helped because what I've learned primarily through the yogic teachings is that this earth is is an experience, but it's not all there is, and that there are planes of existence and levels of being, and and this is not one of the best ones. <laughs> and so, the fact that terrible things go on here is a fact. Yeah. And my job is to do what I can to help that. I used to think it was my job to fix it. I used to think that I was supposed to bring about this incredible transformation of the world, which I see now is just uh, the arrogance of youth. But obviously, we are changing it, all of us together. I, I read a statistic that Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger alone in 2021 saved the lives of one million cows. That's I mean, astounding. That's astounding. Yeah. That is astounding. That is two companies making a kind of food that a lot of meat eaters don't eat and a lot of vegans don't eat, but enough people eat it that it saved a million cows. So I think we just have to keep going. And we also have to keep enjoying life and having fun and refreshing ourselves. And that is so difficult because when you know what the animals are going through, it seems so insulting to them that you would ever do anything except be miserable all the time. (laughs) And if being miserable helped them, then I would be on the misery bandwagon. I mean, sackcloth and ashes, whatever it takes to feel horrible, do that, save those animals. But it doesn't. And then you don't have the energy that you need for the next action, or you're not clear enough in your thinking for that brilliant idea that you could come up with that nobody else could. It might never see the light of day. So we have to know what goes on. And every single day, we have to do something to fix it. And that way, when you go out to the movie, you go to the beach, you go to the concert, you don't have to go feeling guilty because you did something for those animals today. You're going to refresh yourself tonight and go back tomorrow and do something else. I love that. That is um, hugely helpful. And again, that one day at a time thing that is always behind everything you do. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Now, before we move on from spirituality, I wanted to ask you about the Compassion Consortium. What is this incredible new um, venture? Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that you asked. You know, we were talking a little bit before about relationships and non-vegans and stuff like that. The Compassion Consortium is the brainchild of my husband, who, when I met him back in 1996, was not vegan. But I had been dating a lot of spiritual vegetarians, and uh, it hadn't worked out. So I thought, oh, well, it's not like you're going to get married. Just date somebody normal. So I met this lovely man, and yes, he did eat meat, and that kind of bothered me, but I just decided you know, we'll still be able to have a nice time. Well, within two weeks, he was vegetarian, which was great. (laughs) Now, the vegan thing took longer, but 
when he finally did become vegan, I mean, he was totally in and he was totally in as an ethical vegan. So he was doing the vegan thing and that was great. And then in 2019, he announced that he was going back to school and that he wanted to study religion, which surprised me because I thought he was an atheist. You know, men sometimes do all this internal change before they decide to mention it to their significant (laughs) other. But anyway, he went to the One Spirit Interfaith Seminary for a two-year ordination program to become an interfaith minister. And his point in doing this was to study what the world religions say about animals and why they have, for the most part, failed them so miserably. So just before his graduation from One Spirit, he got the idea of a spiritual center for animal advocates. And that's what we have. We have a spiritual home, if somebody wants that, or a spiritual second home. If you've got a church, synagogue, mosque, ashram, temple, whatever it is, but your your feelings about animals, your veganism aren't fully celebrated or fully understood, then you can have the Compassion Consortium as your spiritual second home. So we meet on the fourth Sunday of every month at 4 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And we also put the services up on our website, compassionconsortium.org, and also on our, our YouTube channel. And it's a wonderful celebration of life. So everyone is welcome, but everyone who is speaking is, is vegan because that's kind of the bottom line for really, really valuing uh, non-human beings in your life. And we have have other projects. We have a book and film night every other month when we bring on a filmmaker or an author and um, just do all sorts of wonderful things. And as we grow, we're able to do more to support our members and friends um, who, who need support either with veganism or pastoral counseling or um, care when a companion animal is is ill or or has passed. And then a very exciting thing that's coming up for us at, at the Compassion Consortium is this fall, we're starting our animal chaplaincy training program. And animal chaplains have been around for a long time, and they mostly help people through the grief process when they've lost a companion animal. And that's an important service. And of course, our chaplains will be very well trained in that. But we are training not just pet grief counselors, but genuine animal chaplains who come to understand something of the relationship between human and non-human beings of the spiritual lives of animals themselves. So it's a very exciting program. And uh, I just recommend that everybody take a look at the compassionconsortium.org site and just read all of it. It's very cool. This is incredible. And I, I mean, you were talking about the importance of community before. Here it is. This is one option that is just available to everyone no matter what their religious uh, beliefs are. Uh, I I find that so helpful. And I can't tell you how helpful I find that you are, that you, that there is a place where we can go to grieve our beloved companion animals, uh, anyone who has lost a companion animal. And I think, 
us as vegans, we have such a close connection to them. It's a very difficult process. And I'm so glad that there's a place where people can go. That is fascinating. So happy about that. That that's one of the areas where we really see how differently most people see different species. I guess it's where we see speciesism, one one place that we see it, because on the one hand, uh, companion animals certainly have a much higher status in human culture. You know, they're sleeping on our beds and, and, and they're with us all the time and they have names very different from animals that, that people eat. And yet, when one loses a companion animal, somebody, and probably more than one person, will say, well, you can get another one. When are you going to get another one? Now, I, I was widowed. My first husband passed away when I was in my 30s. We also had the tragic loss of um, my husband's teenage son. And I'm so sorry. In, thank you. And in neither of those situations... Did anybody ever suggest that these human beings were replaceable? And so when people are going through that grief, it's very hard to complete the process. I mean, the point of grief is healing. But if you don't get to finish it, it's like an open wound. And we're not great with loss and grief of humans. But when it's a non-human being, when the love is just as great, in many cases, the closeness is more, it, it's a very special kind of comfort that, that people need, and, and it's an important service to provide. I couldn't agree with you more. Victoria, let's talk a little bit about yoga, because I know yoga is an important part of your life. And Correct me if I'm mistaken, but didn't yoga and veganism for you kind of come a little bit together? Is that true? Well, it was yoga and vegetarianism. Yoga and vegetarianism. Yeah, I had tried to be vegetarian when I was 13 because I always liked animals, but I didn't know what to eat and, and I got really hungry and that was the end of that. But when I was 17 and I found out about yoga, it was a very, very different you had to discover it back then. There were three books in the library and I read all of them. And (laughs) they said, if you're going to be serious about yoga, you have to be vegetarian. And so that really was what, what got me on the path. And it's always been there. I would say more the philosophical aspects of, of yoga than, than the the physical. I, I, I have an asana practice and, you know, now that I'm 72 and I have some injuries, it's a limited asana practice. Like, it's very hard for me to go to a standard class because I have this wrist injury and everybody's doing downward dogs. <laughs> and so it's a very private practice at this time in my life. But the, the yogic philosophy and lifestyle, and I also bring Ayurvedic uh, living in, into that as, as a Ayurveda, as a, an ancient um, healing and, and lifestyle system also from India that grew up alongside yoga. So these things give me a basis for how I see the world and how I want to live my life. And the cool thing that ties yoga and veganism together so perfectly 
is that the first moral precept of yoga, the first yama, is ahimsa, nonviolence, reverence for life. When I met those lovely people from the American Vegan Society way back in 1971, their magazine was called Ahimsa. And I don't think, even though I'd been doing yoga for a few years, that I had learned that word in yoga, but yeah. I learned it in, um, in, in veganism. So I love the idea that my spiritual life of yoga and my lifestyle choice of being vegan both come from the same root, which is compassion, nonviolence, and love for others. Yes, yes. And that is often, I think, because yoga has become more mainstream and there are yoga studios everywhere, we tend to think of yoga as only the poses and only the sort of physical exercise part of it. But there is so much cultural and spiritual meaning behind this practice that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Do you think that this is something that should be infused into the classes that people take? Do you think teachers should be talking about Ahimsa in classes? What would be your, your call to action for all yoga teachers out there? Well, it's very interesting. Whenever anything becomes available to everybody, it loses some of its essence. Yes. And a lot of people would say that just the fact that it's in the West, that you and I are talking about it and we're not Indian, yes. um, is, is something that shouldn't be happening. Now, I disagree with that because I believe that anything good, like veganism, I mean, veganism started in the UK. Does that mean only the Brits can be vegan and the rest of us, you know, need to have a glass of milk once a week just so we won't be overstepping? Um, and yet, on the other hand, this is a sacred way of approaching life. And most people don't realize when they say, oh, yoga has been around 5,000 years. Not the asanas. The asanas have been around about 3,000 years. So when you read the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, when he talks about asana as, as one of the limbs of yoga, he says, easy, relaxed position, meaning a good way to sit to meditate. The idea of standing on your head and doing the hero pose and the warrior pose and the rabbit pose, and I mean, those came a lot later. They're great exercises. And I can say for somebody who has grown up and is growing old with these, that they're incredibly adaptive and you can continue doing them throughout your life. My first yoga teacher who, who taught me in London when I was 18 is now 94 and she still teaches one class a week for seniors, a, a chair yoga class. She lives on a fourth floor walk up. She's absolutely amazing. And so it's a great system physically, one of the best, but what it really has is what's underneath, which yes. is that spiritual underpinning and, and that process of ahimsa. Because as I said to you, you know, I have this wrist problem, so I can't do downward dogs. I can't do handstands. There's so many things that I could do a year and a half ago that I can't do now, but as I go forward and eventually prepare to leave this life, what am I going to take with me? How old I was when I had to stop doing a handstand or 
that yogic teaching of what life is really about, what this whole adventure is for. So it's really cool. And then one of the challenge, of course, that people have who are vegan, who do yoga, is traditionally yoga like dairy, Ayurveda likes ghee, clarified butter, and something else that I've learned in in 12 Steps is this beautiful phrase, take what you like and leave the rest. And it's very difficult if you're a student of yoga and your teacher is someone that you admire, someone who has taught you so many things, but they consume dairy and they think you should too. What do you do with that? You just have to live with the contradiction that very highly evolved people can sometimes miss a piece and the humility that no matter how evolved we think we are, we've missed pieces. There are things I don't get and I don't even know that I don't get them. And so we go forward. That's beautiful. Uh, Victoria, please tell us uh, anything you've got going on. I know you're starting a new chapter with your podcast. Uh, Tell us what's going on with you and where people can find your work and follow you. What's coming up next? Oh, thank you so much, Kim. Well, what is continuing and what is really the, the biggest project in my life, and I think will probably be the biggest project for the rest of my life, is Main Street Vegan Academy. And that came out of the book Main Street Vegan, which was published in 2012. And it's we're having our, our 10th anniversary this year, and our next class live on Zoom is going to be in October. And Main Street Vegan Academy trains vegans to be vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. And we provide the VLCE certification, which is GoVeg certified and highly respected. And it's just the coolest thing. You know, it's almost like saying, explain to me why your dog is the best dog in the world. I mean, (laughs) you know that your dog is the best dog in the world, but to get that across to somebody else is difficult. And that's a little bit the way it is for me with Main Street Vegan Academy. But we, we help people become experts, genuine experts on the vegan lifestyle. And there are lots of courses out there about plant-based eating and nutrition and all that. And we have that certainly in Main Street Vegan Academy. But what we do is make people experts on every aspect of veganism. So if you get called by a national TV show or if you get called to go speak for 5,000 omnivores, you have what it takes to, to be able to do that. And our people go out, and many of them are coaching, uh, they're writing books, they're podcasting, and they have businesses. One of, of our graduates has an ice cream company in Mexico City. There's a convenience store in Philadelphia. There are burgers in Tanzania. There's cheese and yogurt in Colombia and also in in New York City and also in upstate New York. I mean, we've got food trucks and restaurants and people out doing all these amazing things, bed and breakfast. I mean, it's just like they come to the academy and they don't always know what they want to do but they get inspired. And then 
we stay with them unless they want to be left alone. I mean, we don't stalk anybody, but we do have a, a wonderful follow-up private Facebook group, um, gatherings, reunions, master classes, so that um, we just hold people's hands as they go out and change the world. So, Vic- Victoria, I'm sorry, I just yeah. had one question. Sure. Uh, can people enroll in the academy um, even if they're outside of the U.S. Oh, and absolutely. not in New York? That's, oh, that's that's fascinating. Yes, we have had people from 32 countries on six continents. And it's, you know, the the time zone thing can be a little bit, a little bit weird. We go from usually around 10 a.m. Eastern time to 6 p.m. And so that means, you know, maybe people in Europe will watch the recording of the last class or two in the evening. We had a gentleman in Sandu, Kenya, take our our last course. And when he was thinking of taking the class, he said, "I, I have one problem. There's no Wi-Fi in my village. So we we got together and and arranged for him to be able to go to another town where he could could access Wi-Fi. He took every class live. And I know that some of those nights were ending very, very late for him, but he wanted that full live experience. So yeah, anybody uh, can come from anywhere. We do like to have people show up you know, live at least a little bit. Although we did have a lovely student in Hong Kong who took the entire course uh, as a recording just because Hong Kong is the exact opposite of of U.S. Eastern time. So yeah, we are open to everybody and, and, and so excited about getting this message out. I mean, it's already, you know, veganism is, is um, something that's known around the world, but, but to get it into places where people are. And so often people will say to me, whether they're in the U.S. or or whether they're on, you know, some other continent, that the particular area where they live doesn't have a vegan restaurant. Until they donated a vegan book to the library, there wasn't a vegan book in the library. And, And so, you know, we we have we need to infiltrate <laughs> and um, and the main street vegan um, vegan lifestyle coaches and educators are doing that so beautifully and uh, the website we're redoing the website so you can find it it's always been mainstreetvegan.net it will soon be mainstreetvegan.com but it doesn't matter you can put in either one of those things and get there or you can just google main street vegan and you'll find us cuz we're the only one and I fear I, I went on and on about one project and you asked me about several. So I don't know if you want a couple of more or. Uh, of course, <laughs> we want to hear as, as many as you'd like to talk to. I, I, I'm just mindful of your time. I don't want to steal your time, but I could talk to you for three hours and never get tired. Oh, you're so kind. Well, I want to be mindful of your listeners time as well. So you did mention the podcast. I did the Main Street Vegan podcast every week for two months shy of 10 years. And um, the network uh, through which it was was broadcast uh, decided to go on and, and do something else. But all of those Main Street Vegan podcasts are still up on the podcast platforms. Um, but it, we're now calling it the Victoria Moran podcast. And this is strategy. And so, and maybe you have a thought on this, but I felt when I started the podcast, oh, this will be great. This will help people learn about veganism. But what I found was my wonderful listenership were vegans, which is understandable. So with the Victoria Moran podcast, 
I want to have vegans and vegan topics every few shows because that's important. That's important to me. It's important to the world. And yet I also want to have some other things so that I can draw in those who are not already singing in the choir. So we're, we're having a few little uh, hoops to jump over to get the new podcast started, but it should be up before too long, uh, the Victoria Moran podcast. And I am working on my 14th book, Age Like a Yogi. And uh, hopefully uh, next year or 2024, maybe, uh, we can get back together and talk about that. Oh, you have... Um space and time in our podcast to come back as many times and projects and books as you create. Uh, we will always be so excited to have you and share your work with our audience, Victoria. Uh, 14 books, everybody. You heard, yeah, it was 14 books. That is remarkable. I don't know where you have, where you find the time to do everything that you do, Victoria. Uh, I will be sharing all of the links uh, for all of this in the show notes, everybody, to books and the Main Street Vegan Academy and uh, the podcast. And I, I, I find that you're so right. I think that we do need to start bringing in people who aren't in the choir and who are maybe coming to us for another type of episode and then they start you know getting curious and 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 listening to episodes about veganism and i i find that is a very good strategy that's wonderful and to me i mean heaven forbid it won't take some awful global warming kind of tragedy to to get people to do this in in the kinds of numbers that we need hopefully we have the time and people have the will that this will become like smoking. You know, at least in the US, I remember when smoking was cool, when all the movie stars did it. <laughs> yes. And then it morphed into something different. And now when I see somebody smoking, especially in the winter, maybe they're standing outside their office building where they're not allowed to smoke and they're shivering with their cigarette. I feel so sorry for that person. And I wish there was something that I could do to help them with their addiction. And I think that's where we're headed with animal products. I just hope we can do it fast enough. Yeah, I hope so too. Victoria, before you leave us, could you give us your number one tip or a piece of advice or wisdom for someone who decided to go vegan? They're they're, they're going to give this a try from today on, and they want to stay the course. Take it a day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> because anybody can do anything for a day. It's when you're thinking about six months or, you know, the 21-day cleanse. It's like, I don't know where I'm going to be in 21 days. <laughs> so you, you do it today. You find people to support you. And you find some food. I know you said one tip, but I'm going to give three. One day at a time, find people to support you and find some food that is easy and accessible for you. So think about what you already eat that's vegan that you like. So do you like beans and rice, even if you used to put pork in it? You have that without the pork. 
uh, do you like peanut butter sandwiches? Well, only with jelly and I'd rather not eat sugar. We'll get some sugar-free jelly and eat those. That's on your list. That's familiar. That's going to help you. How about pasta? Well, I always put a couple of meatballs on there, but I could do it with the, you know, just, just the sauce, or you can get some beyond kind of meatballs. And so there's a start, you know, and, and then you can add on the burritos and, and the whatever it is that you already eat, that you can just veganize. So this isn't some kind of major transformation. And even if you eventually want to do a major transformation, maybe you want to be no sugar, oil, and salt. Maybe you want to be raw food. That's all great. But start nice and easy. Start close to home. And then you can do anything you want to do and write 14 books about it. Victoria, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your expertise, your lovely writing and your work with the world. I, uh, you, you have changed my life with your work and I know I'm not alone in that. So I am so grateful to you and very grateful to you for spending this time with us. Thank you so much, Kim. I enjoyed myself and you are absolutely lovely. <laughs> thank you. Here are some takeaways from my conversation with Victoria. When going vegan, when making any changes in your life, let yourself be less than perfect. Missteps, steps back, even when they happen from such an important place like your ethics, your values. We are all human. We have a right to make mistakes and learn from them. What if no matter where we are on this path, we are all pre-vegans in some shape or form? We are all trying our best to help animals, our planet, to improve our health. Allow the journey to unfold as you walk through it, even if you get lost 5, 10, 20 times. One of the biggest reasons people stop being vegan is relational. Differences in styles of eating with intimate partners, having family who is unsupportive, the wear and tear of always being at the end of the spotlight when jokes are made, or people get angry because of something as personal as what we decide to put on our plates. So find support, find community. It's much harder if we're trying to do this alone. Stick to changes incrementally, trying to focus on the now, on today. It's normal to want to step out of the muck when we're going through challenging times, but we get out of challenging times by taking daily steps with kindness. So focus on that present moment. Focus on today. It is a spiritual act to eat a meal and our food the meals and snacks we eat that give us energy and life are the activity we do most often and most regularly out of everything we do. So the meaning behind it, the values we practice that are behind these choices, it is such an opportunity to connect with the deeper meaning behind our food, to find that center within us, to explore how feeding ourselves is such an important and meaningful act. If you've struggled with religion, if you've struggled with the rules, the dogma, know that there is a whole other side to our spirituality that has nothing to do with I am a dot 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 and 
all to do with our inner world. And we can find belonging in that too. Even amidst the pain and suffering we see when we work to advocate for animals, we can choose to keep our spirits high and our foot on the gas pedal, even when we feel change is coming very slowly. Being miserable won't help animals. We need to refill, refuel, re-energize, and get comfort in the fact that we can always do what we can to help, even when we can't change everything. Every single day, do something for the animals. Imagine what can happen if we all do one small thing each day. If we have a yoga practice, if we teach yoga, if we found a love of yoga, incorporate everything that is yoga and that isn't the downward dogs and the headstands and the handstands. Ahimsa, or the precept of nonviolence, is at the core of this practice, and it can deepen your practice. It can also be a part of those life essentials. What am I going to take with me throughout my life, all up until the end of my life? And finally, for all new vegans out there, for the veg curious, for the I'm going to try it and see how I feel peeps, take it one day at a time find support and find food that is accessible to you taking into account what you enjoy eating and what feels familiar start nice and easy make sure to follow victoria's work through her website mainstreetvegan.net soon to be.com but everything is going to take you there follow her on instagram where she is at victoria moran author and i will of course be sharing all of her social media handles for twitter facebook linkedin in the show notes and if you've been interested in becoming a coach or vegan educator don't forget to check out the main street vegan academy and of course listen to her podcast the victoria moran podcast wherever you get your podcasts A very special thanks to our sponsor for today's show, the all-natural, non-toxic, zero-waste and reusable vegan and cruelty-free hemp dryer balls from the Etsy shop Green and Experience. And a special thanks to our listeners who, because of your commitment and love for this show, for being there every week for the past, I don't know, six plus years. I don't even know how long we've had this podcast, but it's been lots and lots of years. You made one of my dreams come true today. And of course, a huge thank you to Victoria Moran for all the work she does for animals and for being on the show today.